0: Hello everyone, a very happy new year to you all. We are dropping in your feed today to reshare one of our favourite In Conversation episodes of 2019, our interview with the wonderful Nat Fornasia.
1: We first sat down with Nat in April to discuss her battle with melanoma. Since that talk, Nat's been on quite the roller coaster. She was re-diagnosed a few months later with stage 4 melanoma that has spread to her small intestine and her bowel. While Nat receives treatment and care, we thought we would take this opportunity to help champion the message of her not-for-profit initiative, Cool Time on Melanoma. By resharing this interview, but by also kickstarting our iPledge Pledge movement,
0: we know that influencers play a huge role in glamorising sun tanning. So, what better way to push back on that than to gather a group of clever, influential women to make a sun safety pledge for the year ahead? If you guys head over to our Instagram page at Shameless Podcast at around midday today, you'll find a video where we have gathered some of the country's most recognisable young women, from Laura Henshaw to Georgia Love and Sophie Keisha, to make a pledge towards sun safety in 2020.
1: Melanoma is the third most common cancer in Australian women. Nat's story shows us that melanoma does not discriminate. We owe it to ourselves and to the people we love to be safe in the sun.
0: So in 2020, we are urging you guys to be safe in the sun. We want you to slip, slop, slap, also slide on some sunglasses and seek out shade wherever you can. Get your skin checked by a professional at least once a year and check in with yourself. If you are concerned or something doesn't feel right, please
1: speak to your GP. And above all else, stop glamorizing tanning. We don't glamorize smoking so we shouldn't be uploading selfies laven in oil or boast about our sunburn.
0: In 2020 we pledge to be better for Natalie, for ourselves and for the people we love. Here's Nat. This episode of Shameless is in collaboration with Call Time on Melanoma, a not-for-profit initiative for sun smart women.
2: It's my life now. I have lymphedema, you can see it, it's there. I go to hospital all the bloody time. So when Alexander did come along and it got to that stage where it was like I'm falling in love with him and, like, we need to have a really big conversation, he was the angel that I was waiting for, as my parents now say. And I remember we were both sitting on a bed in Venice and I talked for, I think, two hours. I just had so much to say. And then after I'd finished speaking, he grab my face and he just goes I'm not gonna go anywhere
0: and welcome to this in conversation episode of shameless today we're being joined by a person who has influenced zara and i more than any instagram influencer or youtube vlogger ever could her name is natalie fornasia and she has 839 instagram followers your eyebrows might be raised right now and you might be wondering how a normal sydney girl with a normal social media following could ever be so influential well, last year, Natalie sat down with birdie.com.au for a story titled I'm 24 and living with advanced melanoma. This is my story. Natalie's words and insights in that interview and story were what informed our very last segment of Shameless in 2018 and what pushed Zara actually to change her own relationship with sun tanning forever. Today, we sit down with Natalie, who is now 25 but is also still grappling with her stage 4 cancer diagnosis. We talk about friendship, about love and what you can do to help protect your skin and spread the word. Here's Natalie.
1: Natalie. Hi. Welcome to Shameless. (laughs) Oh my God. Hello. (laughs) We have been wanting to get you on the show since the end of last year when A lot of our listeners might remember, we did a segment on your story that launched the call time on melanoma campaign. Yes. And since then, we got so many messages about that. Yeah. Honestly, once I found out that you guys had like featured
2: my, a little excerpt of my very long story, (laughs) Um, I was overwhelmed. The amount of messages that I got that were like, Natalie, I heard you on Shameless. I like, they were talking about you. I was floored. And from that, everything's just grown. And to this day, like I'm still flabbergasted Aww. by like what's happened.
0: Well, I think, and we
2: said this before we jumped on the
0: microphones really briefly, that we on these In Conversation episodes are always interviewing what we consider influential people. So yep. we're interviewing influencers and media personalities and reality TV stars, whatever. Yep. People who have really big audiences. But I actually see you as a huge influencer because the story that you told to birdie.com influenced Zara and I greatly. You being open and honest about what you've been through I think influenced many people. So if anything you're like the old school OG <laughs> influencer.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah oh my like god, a real
1: life campaign and you're the reason that I did my re- new year's resolution which Michelle will confirm I have stuck to. Oh she's been great. She smells like fake tan, I smell all, like the fake tan <laughs> all the time. time but I haven't been in the sun. Hey but that's a good thing. Exactly. It's a good thing. We usually start Every episode in the same way but with you we wanted to do it a bit differently and mix it up because I think in your interview with Birdie last year you said when it comes to cancer I know people say I don't know what to say and that people don't ask you how you are yes so how are you oh that's so lovely I'm good today I'm actually really good
2: like really good. It's a beautiful day and I've just been so excited knowing that I was going to be interviewed. <laughs> so all day, a bit of bit jittery, but honest to God, like I'm really good today. So thank you very much for asking. The question that we normally start with, I'll shoot you that now. What are you reading, watching or listening to? At the moment? Oh, what am I watching? I just started watching Our Planet, the David Attenborough new Netflix. Honestly, that's like crazy. Um, made me feel all the feels. There was like a story about how it's all got to do with climate change and like how we can like like one little change has a massive domino effect and there was this like little story about walruses and how like they're having to get space and oh my god they were like falling from heights and they're all just dying so it's not pleasant but it was it's eye-opening so yeah that's really great like get on it so where's that netflix on netflix yeah do you listen to podcasts very much? I do. What have I been listening to? I listen to my friend Alison Rice's Offline mm. the podcast. I didn't yes. know you guys were friends. Yeah well I was her intern. This is how this all happened. I was interned for Alison. Wow. Oh. See, so we've never met Alison Rice but we've yeah. kind of DM'd back and forth about Oh she is well. like amazing. I love her to bits. Mm. And there's a new podcast that my other friend just started called The Modern Woman. So yeah, and you guys, obviously. <laughs> That's right, You really don't have to be polite. I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs>
0: Natalie, before we get too deep into the cancer stuff yep. and the sickness stuff, we actually want to know more about you as oh. a person. Okay. So for a little hot second, let's pretend that the cancer isn't there, yep. That's not a thing. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about Natalie Fornasia the 24 year old 25 25 25 now me too grandparents over here. we've both had a birthday since we last spoken yeah so tell us about you the 25 year old with a german boyfriend what do you love about life what What are are your
2: passions and your interests oh let's see i would say i love reading huge reader love to write studying journalism at the moment currently on hold but gonna be a journalist one day finally gonna get that piece of paper i love nature love being outside And I have a zest for life that I think is unique, aside from cancer and everything else. Mm. But yeah, I just really love being alive. Where does that zest for life come from? I think it just comes from knowing that, I guess, it kind of ties into the cancer thing, but like just knowing that life is so precious. So waking up every day and being grateful that you have a day ahead of you, I think. And that's, to me, is like something that I really take on board and like enjoy. So, yeah, you have shit days, which is fine. But always, it's always great to know that the next day it's a fresh start. What does that look like on
0: a day-to-day basis? Does it mean it can not be as simple as getting out of bed that day and not yeah. wallowing
2: or are you an adventurer? What do you like to do? I would say for me it would be just being able, like, to get up out of bed. That's a good start, like yeah, that's a great start to be able to like get up at a normal hour as well. Mm. And I guess it's just adventuring to an extent, like I love to travel, like I cannot wait until my treatment's finish to leave Australia again. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess just being, I love my family. Like my family is like my rock, especially my dad, like huge. And yeah, I just, I enjoy being.
1: Mm. Yeah, just really simple. What was your childhood like?
2: Oh, my childhood was loud. So I have an Italian dad Mm. and a Spanish mom. So loud, (laughs) full of food, lots of family and
1: being loved. Yeah, and having fun. That really must be where the zest comes from, that if you are always kind of like this, that this isn't a newfound sort of persona or trait, that it was always there. Yeah, it's always been there. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother. Do you guys get along?
2: yeah we do he's he's what he's 23 now so he's a normal 23
1: year old guy (laughs) you know what i mean Yeah, Yeah. um what did you know of cancer growing up did it touch your family very closely did you have much experience with it did you know anything about it
2: i knew i knew what it was and i knew that it came in lots of different forms um and my family has had run in with run-ins with cancer A few times. So it had hit close to home. My grandma on my dad's side, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer, but she beat it. Um, But then I lost my grandfather on my mum's side. He died um, from lung cancer, I'm pretty sure. Mm. So yeah, like it's definitely been something that's been, you know, weaved into my family history.
0: Mm. But yeah. And reading
2: your interview with
0: Birdie, you did have moles that your parents were always vigilantly getting
2: checked. Yeah. It's because my mum has quite a lot of moles too, and like I think also when she moved to Australia when she was sixteen, it was like the sun is different here in this country. It is very different, so she was very adamant of being like, and she's very protective. This is something that, oh my god, if you ever met my mother, you'd know, <laughs> um, very protective. So ever since we were little, I was always that kid. That was in a, like, full-on long-sleeve rashy that was, like, down to my ankles as well with a hat with that gorgeous little flap at the back. But she had moles and she was very much adamant being like, well, we're going to make sure that you and your brother and your father, like, you're all checked. So, yeah.
1: Tell us about the time you were in Greece. Is that right? Yeah, you were yeah. Travelling Europe. Greece. How old were you? I was twenty. So you're twenty, and you were, were you on one of those top? Deck? I was on top deck. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was on top deck. You're a classic twenty year old. Yeah. Though. And when you realised that something wasn't quite right. Yeah. The beginning of it all.
2: I all I remember now is I remember waking up and we're on sleeping on sailboats. This is like complete twenty year old top deck kind of moment. Um, The night before, people were breathing fire, like from, I don't even remember what. Um, Top 10. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But I woke up the next morning and I just remember looking down at my legs and being like, why are my legs blue and yellow? And then I was like, I got my friend to count. I was like, these are bruises. I asked her, what did I do? I didn't drink the night before. So I was like, honest to God, I was like, did I sleepwalk? She was like, no. Like I was outside the whole time, like sleeping on the lounge. You didn't come past me. And I was like, oh my God. So we took a photo, sent it to my dad. And then we counted them all. And I was like, dad, I've got 52 bruises on my legs from like my kneecaps right down to my feet. And I remember my dad sending back a message at stupid o'clock Australian time being like, that isn't good. What did you do? And I was like, I didn't do anything. And then in my gut, for some reason, like you know how your gut—it's mm. there and it's very strong. My gut intuition was, it's my mole. Like something is wrong. I just had that initial straight away. That
1: link being like, okay. So you had an existing mole on your toe. I did. I and did. had it been given you? Had it given you any kind of stress or anxiety? It did. Like I knew it was un, like, commonly large. Like I was very much aware
2: of it. So I was so proactive. Even like in winter time, if I was wearing sandals to cover it with a Band-Aid, because I was just like, you never know, right? And it was quite large. So what happened is when I was in England, like a few weeks before Greece, what I'd noticed is when I was wearing a pair of sandals, my the mole actually started to rub against the sandal, so like it was growing. And I was like, that is not a good sign, like that's actually really scary. So I like made it kind of like a dot point in the back of my mind going like, as soon as I get home, I'm going to have to go get this checked again, because I think I like recently got a check like six months before I left. So yeah.
1: And how, what made you think in the moment, these bruises on my legs must be connected to the mole? Honest to God, I have no idea. Yeah. I just, I, I attribute
2: it to like my gut instinct, like just being like, probably cause like I was aware that something was changing on the mole that I thought, okay, this is all connected somehow. But I really don't, I think my gut was just preparing me for like what was about to come.
0: Yeah. So yeah. you get home to Australia, you go see your GP. After a few preliminary tests, he recommends going to an oncologist.
2: Yeah. So like within three days, it was GP, dermatologist, oncologist. What's it like hearing that word? Dermatologist is
0: one thing. Yep. Oncologist is another. What was it like hearing you're going to an oncologist?
2: I just remember like seeing what, if that makes any sense. Like I couldn't comprehend what was going on because I was like, it's just a mole and i guess that was my naivety of not knowing to the full extent what melanoma could be but yeah it was i just remember being lost i've never been one to try and google because i know i will freak myself out like most people would so when it was like you need to go see the oncologist i remember looking at my mum and my mum like lost her shit and she obviously like being a mother was like that's not a good thing like that's scary. Did she cry? Yeah and she's very emotional so when she when we were told I just remember her vividly being like shaken full-on like yeah this is really effing scary.
0: What's the conversation you have with your mum on the drive home from that
2: doctor's appointment? My mum was just like we'll get through this, whatever it's going to be. But I think what she was reassuring me that it wasn't going to be anything. Naturally, what all any mother would do would just be like, this is just a preliminary thing. We're just going to get it checked.
1: Nothing's going to happen. And then something did happen. And then something did happen, yeah. Take us, if you can, to that moment when I imagine you were sitting in a doctor's office with your dad. Yes, I was with my dad at this point. And they said it's cancer and you're 20. I didn't
2: cry. I remember that really vividly. I remember, I think I knew. I think from all those, like it was, I think it was like in the space of a month from me coming back from Greece to them being in that doctor's office. But I didn't cry because I feel like I knew what it was straight away. Like in my gut, I had a feeling of being like, okay, shit's going to hit the fan, but you're going to make it through. So I didn't cry. But when she said, Natalie, you have cancer, the mole has elements of melanoma in it. I just remember like my sense of words and my sense of understanding of anything went out the window honest to god any kind of sense of foundation or sense of who i was because no one prepares you to hear those words there is absolutely no kind of preparation for it and i just remember not crying just sitting there and then accepting all the information i think i like didn't hear anything after she said those three words my dad continued to talk to her and then we walked out of that room. And I remember fainting. That's it. And then my dad and I saw it happen to me, which was really weird. Mm. Yeah, out of body experience. My dad caught me. And then I was fine. I was silent the whole way home in the car. And then I got into bed. And I cried for a whole day straight.
1: What do you think in those moments? Are you thinking anything at all? Or are you thinking about death? Are you thinking about treatment? Are you thinking about you know, actually feeling sick, which I think people forget that you'll feel sick. Right. Yeah. What are you thinking about? Well, the thing is, is I didn't feel sick. That was the craziest thing is because I didn't
2: feel physically ill. When you think about death, probably a lot of people would have this kind of understanding. You know how like your tummy falls out of itself? I had that. And I had that to the point where I couldn't breathe. And I knew I had to give myself that day, in bed of being like I needed to explore all the options call it processing call it whatever you want to call it but I needed to like come to terms with the fact that I could die and at 20 that's huge at 20 that's something you never want to think of but Especially I had a to. a 20 year old
0: who's just been on top deck living right? the best life in Europe and yeah. come home to that kind of
2: news. Yeah it was I can't even think of a word to describe it like it was insane. Mm.
1: In your interview with Lisa for Birdie, one of the things that really struck me was your quote about saying, at 20 and you're diagnosed with cancer, you are technically an adult and by all standards in the world you're an adult and in that moment you feel like a child and you're sort of in this weird kind of no-man's land. Yeah. Where you're not a child, you're not a fully-fledged adult and you sort of realise that you're completely dependent on your parents to carry you through. H- how was it like with your parents at that time? Did you feel guilt? Oh, I had an immense
2: amount of guilt. I had this huge F me moment being like, I have dragged every single one of my family into a shitstorm. And owning that sense of responsibility and guilt, it's something I still haven't come to terms with today. I constantly have this guilty cloud following me around because it's like, I'll always be that sick person and I can never get rid of that label. And I'm still coming to terms with that. But it is what it is yeah it's just crazy because you grew up as a sick kid didn't you yeah you had swine
0: flu at one point and what else was it mycoplasma pneumonia yeah I was
2: yeah a sick kid and maybe that set up my immune system being so crappy for what came later but in year 10 especially I had nearly a whole term roundabout on and off school Mm. because I was just like constantly ill yeah. And yeah, we never thought anything else of it.
0: It's hard to grow up with that label. I grew up as a sick kid as well, yeah. not to the level of you, but it is a weird label to carry around because you yeah. do feel like a burden or you, you do. feel yeah. sensitive or something that people want to wrap you in cotton wool.
2: Yeah. And you also get referred to as being strong or like mm. you're like, you're really like, you know, inspiring. And I love that I am to those people, but you kind of just got to do what you got to do. Mm. Like if anyone were given my set of cards, I feel like, you would be the strongest you could possibly be because you wanna fight, right? And mm. you wanna live. So mm. Yeah.
0: So walk us through you get the diagnosis that it is stage three yep. melanoma because it spread to your lymph nodes. Yes, spread correct? to the lymph
2: nodes. Yep. What happens then? Well, from then on it was kind of like you need major surgery because immunotherapy didn't exist back then. It was still in its trial stages where very little people were able to actually have access to it. So it was a sit-down with my oncologist and she was like, so what we're going to do is we're going to cut open your leg in your groin and we're going to take out every single lymph node in there. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I really didn't. I just was kind of like, just take out what you need. Just get rid of it. And then she also said to me... It's up to you, but we would like to take your toe. And I remember thinking, okay,
1: like, Fuck no. <laughs> I was like wait, are you like, yes, take the toe, like, whatever you need? Or, like, wait, I want my toe. I was
2: so confused because I was like, why do you need to take the toe? Because you've already taken the mole. And then she goes, because cancer is so fucking finicky. There is no way that we can ever guarantee whether we've taken the whole thing or not. And mm. when you look at a toe or a finger, there's not much skin there, right? Yeah. There's not nothing. So if they missed it by one centimeter, that's it, right? We went through all of that for nothing. And so I remember asking my one friend who was studying to become a doctor. I was like, I, did not, trust. I had no idea who to turn to. I was like, who do I like talk to about making a decision? Like, let's amputate a part of my body. And it was was at one of my best friends 21st and I cornered him and I was like, okay, I need, it was just imagining the scenario. Like, it was crazy. My best friend was like turning 21. Sorry, Bronte, if you're listening. (laughs) Um, And I had captured this, he's called Tom. I captured him in the corner and just been like, what's happening? What do I do? I need your medical advice after you've
0: definitely had a few cruises. (laughs) Quite literally.
2: And he was like, not even qualified yet. And he just looked at me. And he's just said to me dead on, and I will always be grateful for this. He was just like, take it. Yeah. He was like, you've got nothing to lose. It's a toe at the Except end of the day. Except for a toe. <laughs> Except yeah. for a toe. But at the end of the day, it's a toe. It's not a whole limb. You can still walk. It's fine. And I literally based my decision of what he told me. like mm. Not what my mom or my dad. I literally was like, what's a medical opinion mm. of someone who's not even a doctor? But I took it. What were your mom and dad telling you? Oh, oh my God. Um, my dad... And my mum, I think they both were just like, do what you want to do. Yeah. Just whatever you feel comfortable with. Because I think as a parent, telling a child to make a huge decision like that, it's just, especially because I wasn't a child, but I was. Mm. So it was just a really difficult terrain to navigate. So I think they were just like, we'll be comfortable with whatever you choose. So yeah, then I went and asked my friend.
1: Friendship is an interesting one in this in this scenario. I have a couple of questions on it. The first is how do you tell friends at twenty? Is it an Instagram post? Is it a WhatsApp? It was a group message. It was a group text message. So I was I couldn't even say it out loud.
2: Like I honest to God could not. I sent a group message. Everyone knew that something was up because I'd previously been walking on crutches like Two weeks prior because I'd just had the mole taken out. So we didn't know officially if it was yet. So everyone knew like, okay, something's going on with Natalie. But then once I got the results, everyone knew that day that I was having the appointment too. So I had all these messages coming in being like, what's the update? What's the update? What's the update? And I was just like, I can't fucking talk to you. I don't know what to say. I had this huge moment of being like, I didn't even want to tell my own mum because my mum wasn't with me at the appointment. She was working and I just I I shut down and so I knew I had to say something so I just like got all my closest friends in one message and I just said guys it's come back as cancer I'll talk to you when I can it was really short really brief didn't want to talk to anybody and then of course naturally my phone went crazy afterwards but I just like turned it off and put it away but yeah it was a group message it was and that was it.
1: How does, it change, how does that diagnosis change the nature of your friendships at that age? What, do you, what have you noticed in the last sort of four or five years? Well,
2: cancer changes everything. It, it, the one thing that I commonly say is that having cancer is also being like, how can I say this? You kind of become the disease. And I know that sounds horrible, but it gets into every single nook and cranny of your life, places that you don't even think about. So with friendships, it destroyed them. And I'm not going to lie, like, plain and simple, there were friends who were there who just simply did not show up. But that's not their fault. And I want them to know that, like, it's a big thing to be there for someone who is terminal, not terminally ill but could be terminally ill or has a chronic illness or is diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. Friendships can fall apart and that's
1: just the way it is. Like, because some people just can't handle it. And that's okay. So young people might be listening to this and they might yeah. have a friend who is sick or know people in their life that is sick and they feel like they don't know what to do. Yeah. What is a way to show up? What, what did you appreciate from your friends in those moments? I appreciated just being talked to normally.
2: Like honest to God, not even just being like a oh, house treatment, but just being like, how was your day? Or if they just drop by the house being like, oh, I was just thinking of you. Do you want to go out for coffee? Honest to God, normality. That's all someone's asking for. If it's their mum who's sick, they just want normality. They want that sense of like, okay, something huge has changed, but you want every other kind of puzzle piece to remain the same.
0: Coming up after the break, the love story of Natalie and Alexander and why we need to think twice about the tanning content we put on Instagram. But first, a bit of a different break to hear about a cause that's very close to my and Zara's hearts. Zara, Call Time on Melanoma is a not-for-profit initiative for sun-safe women, blowing the whistle on melanoma mythology and serving you sun safety as sun
1: care. That is absolutely right. And what we wanted to do in this little episode break of the show is donate the episode to the cause because we wanted to help spread the word because we have, like we keep saying, been incredibly inspired by Natalie fornasia and Lisa Batulmi, who also created the Call Time on Melanoma Initiative. Exactly. And if we can forego a sponsor
0: for one episode to spread the word, that's exactly what we want to do. So for those unaware, melanoma is the third most common cancer in Australian women. So sun is not safe. We know that. We know know that we need to be wearing more sunscreen and we need to be covering up more. So Call Timer Melanoma gives you that information, which I really, really love. If you go onto their website, they've actually got a list of beauty editor approved sunscreen recommendations and self-care strategies as well.
1: I don't think we can stress enough, though, and I know we hear this all the time that there's nothing healthy about a tan, but I still think we live in this, in this weirdly warped Australian culture where we still feel healthier if we've got colour on our skin. But sun tanning, like we keep saying, isn't safe. Natalie Fornasia is... Um, spearheading with Lisa Patomi this, this movement and we can't push you to go on their website enough, tell your friends, follow their Instagram, it's at call cool time on melanoma and spread the fucking word. Yeah.
0: Do you want to quickly talk about how you've changed your attitude towards tanning as well? Because oh. I think that's a it's a big part of shameless and the community that we've built and I guess a dialogue that we constantly have around sun tanning.
1: Totally. So I wrote about this in um, yeah, the newsletter this morning. But I have a, a strange relationship with tanning because I've grown up by the beach my whole life and the beach has been a fundamental part of my childhood, my adolescence. It's been a fundamental part in calming my mind whenever I'm stressed, I go to the beach. I spend a lot of time in the sun um, and I spent a lot of time over the years getting a tan and then when I read this story on Birdie at the end of last year I said to you I think we should really do a segment about this this is really starting to change my perspective on tanning my new year's resolution was to stay (laughs) out of the sun it sounds so frivolous but it was really important to me and I haven't I mean you can't avoid the sun but I haven't been unprotected or uncovered in the sun since the moment I read that article I still firmly think that there won't be a day where that will change and I am forever married to my fake tan
0: absolutely and guys if you are Listening to this episode, and you're affected by Natalie's story as much as Zara and I have been, please come into the Facebook group or come tell us on Instagram. Let's share our stories, let's tell our friends about this. I think the best way to get the word out about call time and melanoma is to actually tell people about it. Go follow them. Uh, tag your friends in their posts. Tag your friends in the post on our Instagram feed talking about this episode. The more we can get this out there and get Natalie's message across, the better. We want to do whatever we can with the Shameless community to spread that.
1: And I think the way that we do that is we make sure that the conversations around tanning is that it's not cool to have a tan. Like, let's change our perspective a little and a lot ensure that all of us stop tanning no matter the season. Let's get back to Natalie.
0: It feels from the outside, that cancer has been a really defining time, not only in your life, but also with your relationships and that you have had some friendships fall away and you've probably had some strengthened, but you've also fallen in love.
2: I know, which is just crazy. Can you (laughs) tell us about love and about your relationship with Alexander? Okay, so I was diagnosed first in 2014 and I had dated a few boys before and after that, but it was never anything to the point where it was like, you know, oh, this is going to be a relationship because I was petrified like I honest to God thought I would never fall in love because it is a huge thing to take on and because what you need to also acknowledge is that with cancer it's never fully gone as we now know now but it it can come back and that is something that I feel like especially like with young men it was hard for them to wrap their heads around and some that I will talk to or, you know, go out on a date with, they couldn't emotionally see past it. But I felt like it was my responsibility to say, look, this is my life. I wasn't going to hide it. I didn't feel that that was true to myself because it's my life now. I have lymphedema. You can see it. It's there. I go to hospital all the bloody time. It's not something I can hide. So when Alexander did come along... And it got to that stage where it was like, I'm falling in love with him. And like, we need to have a really big conversation. He was the angel that I was waiting for, as my parents now say. He took it all in. And I remember we were both sitting on a bed in Venice. We met in exchange, by the way. And we were sitting there and I talked for, I think, two hours. I just had so much to say. And not once did he interrupt interrupt me. Not once did he... Go like, oh, but why this or whatever? And then after I'd finished speaking, he grabbed my face and he just goes, I'm not going to go anywhere. He didn't see it as a hurdle, he saw it as something that he was like, Well, that's a part of you, and I acknowledge that, and I'm going to start crying. (laughs) I'm going to start crying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you guys are because I went a long time ago. Um, He just looked at me in a way where I, honest to God, felt like I
1: was just a normal person. I was going to say that. Was it one of the first times in the entire experience that you felt you were uncomplicated? Exactly. I was. I was uncomplicated. I
2: wasn't this gigantic mess of a person that had so many responsibilities or huge weighted shoulders. He just made me feel like a normal person. And honest to God, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Can you tell us about him? What do you like about him? (laughs) Tell us. He is so german and he'd hate me to say that but he is he's a stickler for time he is the most understanding human you will ever meet and he is so personable he will get along with everyone and anyone he's warm funny loving he's making me fat because he loves to cook yeah. <laughs> but like he truly loves to cook and every day he tells me oh i'm so lucky that I have you because he wants, he wishes he was Italian and he's like, oh my God, I'm going to marry an Italian. Like that's my life goal. And I'm like, I love you so much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When you're in your early twenties and, and that cancer comes along and, and like we've touched on already, there are a lot of things going through your mind. At what point do you exercise the thought that fertility is a part of this conversation? Yeah. So
2: when I told Alexander my past, right? So because at this point, we didn't know I'd come back yet. How old are you at this point? When we met, I was 23. Turning 24. Right. So just, yeah. So about a year ago. And we, I sat down, had the conversation with him. And I had to say to him, look, babies are something that I want. And he wants them too. But at that point, we didn't know that it was going to be a potential challenge. So he was very much aware of what could be happen and what could not because I could have had them perfectly fine if I didn't get diagnosed a second time it actually wouldn't have been a problem like I would have been able to carry xyz but lymphedema presents a challenge in itself because with my leg being swollen your whole body swells when you're pregnant anyway and that can be something that you have to monitor and can just be a complete nightmare but it is doable but now with me being diagnosed a second time and I'm on treatment having babies is just proving to be a constant kind of we don't know if this is actually going to be a thing and I want to be a mum like that is just something that I crave and so when the doctors were like we don't have enough information to say as to whether you'll actually be able to have a kid later I just remember going like I wasn't obviously thinking of it because I'm not thinking about babies when I'm just being told every, every other thing but I just remember thinking fuck, you can't take this from me again because I've already had a scare once. You can't tell me that I can't have kids again. But I just got told the other week that I have to go on hormone therapy because immunotherapy is currently killing the glands in my body. So there's a pituitary gland in your brain and it's a like, mastering command of all the glands. Immunotherapy can't distinguish between what's good and what's bad like antibiotics. It's killing that gland and slowly my thyroid is starting to die. So I'm on hormone therapy, which they say I have to be on it for the rest of my life. You can't breastfeed when you're on hormone therapy. We don't know if I'll actually be able to carry a baby because of immunotherapy being attacking everything. Immunotherapy at one point can even attack my own ovaries. Mm -hmm. So I remember being in this endocrinologist's office and him breathing a freaking like sigh of relief when I said I'd had IVF because he was just like, well, thank God, because you're a case where we just have no idea. Because a lot of people who are in my boat, I would say, they're a lot older. A lot of them have already had kids. And so when Alexander and I got to the point where it was like, do I have IVF or not? Obviously I said yes, because we just didn't know. And I had this whole moment of being like, how weird is it that we're talking about babies we haven't even been dating for six months. And I was like, okay, so I'm gonna sign over my unborn babies to you right now. Like, (laughs) here you go, have them. And he's a champion and he was just like, okay, we'll just do it. Because he and I have come to this point, like we're such a team where it's just like, okay, if we can't have the baby myself, like I can't carry it. He goes, well, we're still gonna fucking have a baby of our own. So no matter how we're gonna make it happen, we will. And some of my friends would even be like, I'll carry for you. So yeah. that's cool. Can you explain how it works? Are you still doing long distance with each other? So he goes home. Australia's got this visa where it's like he was on a holiday visa first. So you don't have to work or anything, but you need to leave the country every three months. So <laughs> he would come to Australia and then have spent three months here and then go home for six weeks and then come back for three months. So we've been doing that because he doesn't want to leave me alone because everything's a bit volatile. Like Mm -hmm. it's only been about like not even a year yet since I've been diagnosed. So he does the backwards and forwards and then he's just applied for a working visa now. So hopefully when he comes back, he'll be back in like two weeks He'll come in on a six-month working visa so he doesn't actually have to leave the country. (laughs) The poor thing is so tired of flying. He's just like, oh, my God, another fucking 24-hour flight to go. (laughs) And I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) So take
0: us to the point when you felt like you had beaten cancer, but as you said, you can never really beat it because it's always somewhere probably lying dormant, potentially going to resurface again. Yep. What's it like to be told, yeah, it's back?
2: This time I was really fucking angry. It was a whole new sense of, I'd already closed this door, right? I'd like put the fucking padlock on it, like, throwing the key away. I was like, all right, I'm just going to live with the aftermath of it. But now that it had like resurfaced, it was this rage because I had now a relationship to think about. I had this whole kind of, I felt like, what was the fucking point of the past four years? Why, why, why? So when it came back, I was just so mad at myself. And this is something that I really still can't wrap my head around. It's just like you get so angry at your own body, right? And you think you have control over what's going inside of you. Like you're like, all right, I don't smoke.
1: I like eat really healthy. I exercise. Sometimes it just means fuck all. It's interesting that you say that because that's a question I wanted to ask at the very start when you're talking about how your mum sort of protected you from the sun in such sort of extreme lengths. Did you ever just want to shout at the world, this wasn't my doing? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And yeah, there was like an article that was put out. um, I did an interview for someone and they put the headline as don't make my mistake. Oh, and I lost my shit and what mistake what it wasn't a mistake so it was a clickbait no I don't know it was in a paper it wasn't clickbait it was just and I like emailed the editor and being like what is this you and I had a really lovely conversation like I thought we were doing something good here and she goes my sub editor changed Mm -hmm. it and I just remember being so effing mad but yeah it's it's so hard when I didn't do this to myself like and this is why I'm so passionate about trying to change the conversation around sun safety because you do have some kind of power over your health and i guess that's just what i want people to realize is because i didn't have any over mine but if you have a little bit something if you can protect yourself like a normal human being you can probably protect yourself from god knows what's coming
0: with that birdie profile was the launch or what i thought was the launch of call time of melanoma yep what's behind that I think you just touched on it then but it's a pretty big deal I think to be a normal woman other than this sickness in your life and feel a responsibility yeah to I don't know I almost have a call to arms or enact change and try and get people talking and educating people what's in it, what is it that makes you want to do that because it is so
2: great yeah <laughs> thank you um I guess what makes me want to do it is that I just get so fired up now, especially in the age of Instagram influences and like everybody posting everything on social media, Australian summer. I just get so fired up that people just don't take care of themselves. It's just as basic as that. And so when Lisa messaged me and was like, would you be happy doing this and being a face of something that I'll create? I was so on board because I was like, if I can change or stop one person from doing something and changing their life, and like you know, p- potentially stopping them from getting cancer. Like then, I guess in a way, it allowed me to change my own narrative, and that's what Lisa's let me do. Do you feel empowered? I think
0: it sounds like you took hit after hit after hit in those doctor's appointments, and now you can
2: control something. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's regaining control, and I feel so empowered. I've been given the chance to rewrite how cancer has affected my life. Yeah. And I will go in with this all guns blazing. Yeah. And to the women listening to this, how can they get behind call time on melanoma? Follow us on Instagram Mm. and pretty much we'll have our website and everything coming up hopefully later this year. But it's the basic kind of principles behind sun protection is all I'm going to say is that if you value your skin, which you should because it's the largest organ on your body, protect it at all costs because melanoma is the highest i think what is it like it's got the highest numbers of cancer in young people in australia Mm -hmm. when you look into the statistics it's actually frightening and the thing is is melanoma it can be there for a little while and that's the thing is like if you don't get your skin checked regularly you're never gonna know if there's something you need to keep
1: an eye on or not so it's just protect yourself from the sun that's it we have probably thousands of young Australian women and I think there's something interesting about Australia about the fetishisation of a tan. And it's, it's interesting how, particularly in this Instagram age, it is a sign of hotness, I guess, because we glorify it. What do you want those young Australian women to know and to do? I mean, obviously we're talking about sun protection here, but I mean, we'll probably, when this this goes live, it's going to be winter, but I imagine there's going to be a whole host of people going on holidays and, and wanting to get in their bathers and wanting to upload those tanning photos. What do you want them to know? That sun safety is paramount.
2: It doesn't matter if we're in winter. It doesn't matter if we're in summer. The sun in Australia can affect you all year round and... For those young women, it's that having a tan doesn't make you the most popular, coolest person that I guess Australian tanning culture is trying to promote to you.
0: What about influencers who are hopping on their Instagram stories
2: lathered in tanning oil? That just makes me so mad. Lisa and I were very, very, very anti any influencer who promotes a tanning oil because that's a tanning oil is a beauty loophole. So pretty much it can like bypass the like sunscreen thing. Yeah, so the yeah. TGA considers exactly.
0: sunscreen as medicine, I yep. think it is, or yep. it's something like medicine, whereas beauty tanning oils skip and bypass the TGA exactly. regulations. regulations. Yeah.
2: And it is infuriating. I don't know how influencers can feel comfortable knowing they're promoting products that literally promote skin cancer. Like I just cannot wrap my head around it.
0: Yeah, I think it, particularly because it's often wellness influencers every one second
2: will be like, wellness is meditating yeah, and wearing a, I don't know, skin mask. This whole obsession that having a tan is healthy, being sun-kissed and all of that, that the language around tanning is horrible, especially for young girls because they are so impressionable And we don't have enough people out there saying being your normal skin color is just fine. Mm. Like being pale is beautiful. Just we as women particularly, we always excuse ourselves if we're like a friend's just come to the house where I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any makeup on. Like we're always like trying to better ourselves, which is just we've really got to try and work on not doing that, just embracing who we are. I understand that people want to have a tan. Great, but get out of a fucking can. Like, honestly. I mean, it makes yeah. you smell as you can probably smell from here. But it works. Be honestly, more like Sarah. Yes, yeah. just get it out of a can. Oh, my God. Do not go bake yourself in the sun. It's not worth it. You are, like, heightening your chances of melanoma by more than 50% by going out in the sun for one hour without sun protection. It's, it's just insane. And once you look into all the statistics and everything else, you're just like, how... women doing this to themselves I know women who are obsessed with skincare yet the last thing they'll ever do is wear SPF and I'm like if I can't appeal to you by like you know wrinkles wrinkles right I'm gonna appeal to you because you can fucking age faster if you don't put SPF on right yeah so yeah
0: Natalie I'm sure so many people listening to this right now thinking I want an update on how the situation is now we know that you've been re-diagnosed yes let's come back can you just give a synopsis of what you're looking at
2: (laughs) okay so i to this day i am still classified as stage four melanoma in my lungs um it's not there actively but it's they say that the tumors are now considered scar tissue but we are not sure about the lymph nodes that are right next to it because lymph nodes can get smaller and bigger on treatment xyz anyway but It's still potentially there. It also is not. The only way we'll find out is if we stick a needle in me, but I'm not very keen on doing that at the moment. But everything's going really well. Treatment is going well. I'm responsive to treatment. There are complications to treatment, which is the hormone therapy at the moment. But apart from that, if you look at me, I look freaking healthy. (laughs) And your eyebrows are on point. As I
0: said, when you walked in, I was like, what are you doing
2: with your eyebrows? They look amazing. Thank you. But yeah, it's just a simple thing as also what you can take away I guess from this is that everyone you bypass in the street is going through something if you look at me you would not have a clue that I have stage four cancer not a clue and so I guess one takeaway if anything from that you're listening to me talk right
1: now just be nice to people mm. it costs nothing to be nice so yeah Natalie thank you so much not just for coming today but for for doing all this work with call cool time on melanoma I, I can't tell you how many perspectives you are changing. Like, I don't think this is a conversation we've actually properly had in Australia, particularly amongst young women yet. So I am personally so thankful that you thank have you. come on here. And also, I think it's time we start a petition to get Alexandra a citizenship or something. Yeah, Are you going to cry again? Oh, maybe. <laughs> it takes, oh, actually,
0: it doesn't take that much to get Zara to cry at the moment. But okay. um, no, thank you. You've influenced us a lot.
1: Thank and you. Like I'm getting
0: emotional now. Oh, but you have. I love you guys so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for joining us for this very special episode of Shameless. If you would like to get behind call time on melanoma, follow them on Instagram. They're at call time on melanoma or visit their website, www.calltimeonmelanoma.com.au. More than that, though, guys, send your friends this episode, buy some Factor 50 sunscreen, look out for each other, protect your skin, cover up. If you want to support Shameless, all we can ask is that you click that big purple subscribe button on the Apple podcast feed or wherever you can subscribe in your podcast app. We will be back in your ears on Monday.